You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. All right, Rev Church. How's everybody doing? Everybody say, woo! So good to see everybody this weekend. We are so, so glad that you are here. Uh, Disclaimer, do not follow the advice on those videos that we've been posting for a month. Uh, Those are meant to be sarcastic. They're not meant to be real advice, okay? We're in the second week of a series called Super Showdown, Husband versus Wife. And what what we've done is we've decided to just take a a break from our expository preaching. Well, not a break from expository. We're still in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to break these verses down. Uh, But from a book study, just to do two quick weeks on marriage. Last week, we talked about what husbands needed and what it looked like for a wife to submit This week, we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 5, take a look at verses 25 through 33, and we're going to look on the other side of that, what your wife needs from you men. Uh, I would encourage everyone in here, maybe you have been through a season of pain in your marriage. Maybe your marriage isn't going that great right now. Maybe you've been divorced, divorced multiple times, and you're trying to figure out how to make relationships work. You're looking forward to the marriage that you're going to have, I would encourage you uh, to really take to heart and take notes on everything we say today. If you weren't here last week, go watch it. Because uh, again, this is a quick series. You know, I heard somebody talking this week about how when 9-11 happened, uh, the Twin Towers in 2001, when they rebuilt the next tower, they had to do some things. They had to get rid of all the old debris and they didn't rebuild with the debris that was on the ground. They brought in new, fresh construction uh, building materials in order to build the next thing. That's what needs to happen in your life if you've been hurt, if you've got a rough marriage right now that's not going well, if you've been divorced. My encouragement to you is really take to heart all the things that we're going to try to teach you from Ephesians 5 and uh, allow, allow it to get all the old debris out so you can bring that new construction material figuratively in so that you can build solid relationships and in the future have a solid marriage. I would remind you as well that Ephesians chapter 5 is groundbreaking. When this was written, this passage of scripture was absolutely groundbreaking because marriage at the time this was written and in the known history of the world had mainly been contractual for people. Love was not even considered inside of most marriages and husbands really treated their wives as property. And what we're going to see a continuation of last week today is Christians are called to be different. We're called to do things God's way, not the world's way. And marriage really, at the, at the heart of a marriage, it's supposed to be a testimony that makes Jesus look good. So marriages, Christian marriages, are to stand out to the world as different but in a good way. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 25, and then I'm going to introduce my helper again today, the same one that helped me out last week, as we give you the four points that we're going to glean from uh, these nine verses of Scripture. Y'all with me? Say, I am. am. Verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. 
for we are members of his body. Just a side note, we told you last week that when it came to unpacking what submission looked like, that if you were a widow, if you were divorced and not married, that really you could apply every point last week to your relationship with Jesus. Well, this week, this passage makes it clear that if you're a widow, if you're not married in here, and you're like, oh man, what am I going to get out of the sermon today? This absolutely, every point we're going to teach you today applies to your relationship with the church. This passage makes it clear that this is really a picture not just of a marriage, but also how the church functions as well. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I'm going to go ahead and have my helper come out. My wife, Brooke, give her a hand as she comes out, y'all. Come on. She's done a great job in this series. And just like last week, we showed you a picture of our wedding day last week. So I figured I'd show you a picture of when we were dating. So go ahead and put that picture up. This is us when we were dating. I had no hair on my face. You know what I mean? Like we were so young. Got married when we were 20. And just as a reminder, uh, we've been married 23 years almost. We've been together about 25 and so we're going to talk about things absolutely from a biblical perspective. Every one of these points we're going to find in Ephesians chapter 5, among other places you're going to hear about in the scripture. But some of our experiences that we speak to is from a couple. I'm 43 years old. I'm not going to tell, her how, tell you how old she is. A couple that's, you know, I'm 43 and we've been married 23 years. So if you're in here and you've been married 80 years, you may give some different advice because you're in a different season. If you're in here and you're dating and you're getting ready to get married, you may be in a different season, but we're going to try to speak to some of the seasons that we've been through. Amen, Rev Church. Fair enough, Rev Church. Everybody say amen. amen. You want to uh, do the first point? So last week was what does your husband need from you? And this <coughs> week is what do we need from our husband? And this is difficult to answer because honestly, day by day, what I feel like what we need is really different. Um, and I kept thinking, like, I don't really know myself and I don't really know what to say. So what better place to go to than to figure out what we need than God's word? Amen. So I'm going to go there and figure out what we need and what God says we need and not what I say we need. Um, so first, we you need, don't even know what you want for dinner. I know. You know what I mean? Like, I, so we better go to God's word. You know what I'm saying? So first, we, need, we almost did a video where I had a, I would have her in the car next to me and with the Jeopardy music in the background that says, uh, this is another edition of trying to figure out where to go eat tonight. You know what I mean? So, so first, we need... And you know why that is. <laughs> you know why that is? The last time the wife picked where to eat, they ate the fruit in the garden and they fell. You know what I mean? So that's what, you can't pick where to okay, eat. Here we go. Okay, we're moving on. So the, first, we need exclusivity. The wife in Song of Solomon says this over and over in chapter 2, she says, my lover is mine and I am his. And in every single chapter, one of them is expressing this. He says in chapter 4, you have stolen my heart. And so we need our husbands to be generous communicating this. And we give hints, of course we do, but it doesn't usually work. I and mean, by the way, men like to hear this too, because um, like I said, it's expressed in every single chapter. And we need to hear this often. Exclusivity, right? Yes. We need to hear that you're my We you're need my, to hear the only that one. there you're is the only no one else more yeah. important than God right. besides us. Um, and I want to be specific with often. 
Um, for me, and for you ladies, it may be different, but for me, like once a week, I need to know how you feel about me. Like I need to know that you still have the feelings. And that's just me. So ladies, tell your husbands what you need. And actions speak louder than words. And I need to know that there's no one else and that there is nothing else like golf or fishing or the gym does not take priority over me and over our family. You tell the sore spots, the gym, right? <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Socks will come up at some point, too. Story time. When we first got married, we were really young, and we had just moved to Crossville, and we did not know anyone. Um, he was working from 8 a.m., which means he left the house about 7, until 7 p.m., and then after work, he would go to the gym. And so I was at home alone until 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And I kept thinking, like, after a while, this really started hurting my feelings. And I kept thinking, well, why did you marry me if you were going to continue living like a bachelor? So then I remember one day, like, everything changed. The light bulb just came on for him. Do you want to speak to that? About yeah, yeah, it clicked. I mean, I started realizing that I was married now, and I couldn't act like I was a single guy anymore. And I had to consider her uh, more than I considered myself. And so I made changes. And some of these were painful changes. If I was going to go work out, I had to get up at 3, 4 in the morning and go work out. I couldn't go after work and hang out at the gym with my buddies anymore because my most important relationship was you. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, one of the first things it speaks to, it says, Husbands, love your wives. This is a singular love that the Bible's talking about in a monogamous relationship. And I did some digging on this. And the word husband is an interesting word in the Scripture. It actually... Uh, can be translated farmer because what it literally means is one who tills the ground. Uh, if you remember back in John chapter 15, Jesus was talking about being the vine. He said this, this is the King James Version, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. What he's talking about, my father cultivates the ground and gets the ground ready for people to accept Christ. And so husbands cultivate their marriage. You're in charge of making sure that the fruit comes from the marriage. And so I would say that what that means is the majority of your relational energy goes in to your relationship with your wife, not your relationship with anything else. And clearly this means when we talk about exclusivity, it means that you don't check other women out, uh, you don't talk about other women, you don't spend the time, especially one-on-one -on -one with other women. And also clearly this means that when it comes to things like pornography, uh, adultery, those things are out. Wandering eyes in a marriage are absolutely destructive. But further than that, again, it means that the majority of your relational energy goes into your relationship with your wife. Uh, you've got, you know, hobbies that you do. That's great. Th those are fine. But the priority is your relationship with your wife. You got a friend that you grew up with, a best friend, and you guys were buddies in high school. And then, uh, you know, you like to hang out with them. That's great but you don't like to hang out with them more than you hang out with your wife. Your wife is your best friend and she needs that exclusivity, so to speak. You got anything to add? So that? how do I know that he's exclusive to me? He hangs out with us. He prioritizes our family when he's not working and he knows me and he knows best how to serve me. That's right, that's yeah. exactly, exactly right. That's a really, really important point all through the Song of Solomon, really good stuff. Number two. Number two is we need affection. Um, and reading Song of Solomon, not wow. just attention, affection. affection. He really loves her, and he thinks that she's beautiful. Um, there should be no doubt that you think that I'm beautiful. I should never have to be concerned about that. 
Um, Solomon compliments her 47 times in seven chapters. He compliments <coughs> her hair, her body, her teeth. And my favorite is in chapter six when he says, my perfect one is unique, blessed and praised. So we don't just need physical compliments. We also need compliments about our character. Listen to Proverbs 31. It says a wife of excellent character has a husband who praises her. And in chapter four, he says, you are all together beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Perfect one is great. I mean, he uses that language. You are perfect. Looking at his wife. Now, there's not a perfect woman. There's not a perfect man. But they're perfect for Solomon. Your wife is perfect for you. God made her perfect for you. And guys, you should look at your wife and say, baby, you are perfect. He tells her from the neck down, describes her in detail. Go watch our Song of Solomon series we did two years ago. And uh, he says, you're perfect. And so, so that standard of beauty that a husband has, the standard is not an Instagram model. It's not a swimsuit model. It's not a movie star. The standard of beauty for a husband is the wife. No matter what season you're in. Okay? If you're 20 and you're married like we were, great. You're, man, you're perfect. Perfect. Well, guess what happens in a marriage? You have a couple of kids. Does she change physically? Absolutely. You get older. Father time's undefeated. We all get saggy and draggy, right? You know what I mean? And so, so like, when you're 60, guess what you're still saying, man? Baby, you are perfect. You are perfect to me. You are my standard of beauty, right? In today's culture with camera filters and social media, like, it's really hard to feel like you can measure up. And the lady in Song of Solomon, she had some physical insecurity. She even says at one point, don't look at me. But Solomon reassures her, you are beautiful. And side note, she compliments him too, so he needs it too. And and side note as well, uh, he goes over and above talking about the things that she's insecure about. Like, read the Song of Solomon. Go back and watch that series. He's like, man, I love your big, thick neck, baby. Like, that's what Solomon (laughs) says to her. Weird stuff. Stuff that she like is real insecure about. He's like, man, I love that about you. So like, I just tell the ladies in here, the thing that you actually hate about yourself could be the thing that God made you that certain way to attract your future husband that loves Jesus to you. And it could be the very thing that like highlights you to him that he's like, man, I love this about you. So be, be careful with plastic surgery, wanting to change yourself and all that stuff because The thing that you don't like about yourself could be the thing that he's like, whoa, baby. And if this is uncomfortable, get the love language book because it really gives strategies on how to get more comfortable with affection. Um, Ladies, if you're in need of affection, the first thing I would say is pray. Find the right time to talk to him and tell him how to pursue you. Song of Solomon shows us that he pursues her, and this is a back-and-forth conversation. So know your love language and give them some strategies. And also remember this. I didn't say this last week. We have all of the love languages. The quiz just shows the level of importance. So we need all of those. But the number one is what you need the most and so forth. And the number five, you still need it. It's just not as much. Um, So it means that if you need physical touch, just tell him. Just say, hey, can you please sit by me? If, um, if you need more than because that. Because guys are mind readers. Right. We okay. established that last week. If you yeah. need more than just a hug, make a plan and to set the mood. Remember those early days when you couldn't keep your hands off of each other? 
Um, so for us, I remember. I remember. <laughs> what do you mean by couldn't keep her hands off each other? Okay, moving on. For acts of service, acts of service, something because you guys know that's mine. So the first thing he does on his way home from work, he always calls me and says, "Hey, do you need anything?" And so, I, you know, remind him if that's your if that's your need. Say, "Hey, could you just call me on your way home and just see if I need anything?" And most of the time, I say no, right? Yep. But it's still nice to be checked on. Um, if, <laughs> If it's quality time, say, hey, can we plan a date? Um, in Song of Solomon, they had examples of them going on dates together. And P.S., our dates are usually really boring. We go to the gas station, I get an icy, he gets a coffee, and that's our date. And that's just the season of life that we're in, and that's okay. Like, that's okay, whatever season that you're in. If you need words of affirmation, say something like, for Valentine's Day, I don't need chocolates or flowers, I just need a love note. Yep. And that's what I told you this week. I yeah, need a love note. Yes, she told me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as a guy, you want to say, no, you don't. You don't. That is what he said. He yeah. said, no, you don't. But I said, yes, I do. I do. I think when it comes to affection, keep in mind Ephesians chapter 5. You know, just listen to the language that's used. Let me repeat some of it. Love, love your wives. Husbands ought to love their wife as their own body. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. Um, the husband has been described in the marriage before since he's the leader of that relationship and of the home as a tender warrior. Uh, what this scripture tells us is that when it comes to love, when it comes to affection, love is not commanded as the husband you know, to the wife. You're not commanding your wife. Uh, it is, it's not taught, it's caught, so to speak. And so as the leader of the home, you're setting the example with this. You are a caring soldier, a compassionate fighter. And so, so when it comes to affection, men, we lead the way in this. We lead the way. One great definition or attribute, I guess, of leadership is um, you're the one who gets the blame even if it's not your fault, really. And in a marriage, it's no different. And there are those instances where maybe a wife commits adultery and it's not the husband's fault at all. I get that. But but for just about everything else, like it, it's, it's your fault. And so... You lead in that way. And it plays itself out affection-wise in things like forgiveness. You know, you may be in a situation with your wife, guys, where like she's 99.999% wrong, but you're 0.000001% wrong. Guess who initiates forgiveness? You're not waiting on her, guys. You're the leader. You're the leader in this area. You're the tender warrior in this area. And so... So I love the way Ephesians chapter 5 puts it. One translation says, Husbands, go all out in your loves for your wives. It doesn't say rule over them. It doesn't say control your wives. It doesn't say commandeer your wives. It does not say command your wives. It says go all out in your love, that agape love, that sacrificial love. One, one person said this, A happy man marries the girl he loves, and a happier man loves the girl that he marries. And so we love our wives and show affection uh, with non-sexual touch, with words, with actions, and different things like that. And if you're looking to get married, you're single right now, consider every single one of these points and start to develop these. You know what I mean? Start to think about, how am I going to love my wife in the future? How, what kind of a man am I looking for? I'm looking for a man that knows how to show affection, that leads the way uh, in showing love, and so on. And, and so don't forth. forget to encourage affection. And what I mean by that is say thank you. Yeah. But remember the quote that says, a person who feels appreciated will almost always do more than is it 
than is expected. So always say thank you when they're hitting those right love languages. That's right. That's right. Number three, your wife needs security. Your wife needs security. Uh, we kind of changed this word around from protection to security to uh, to safety, and, and we'll talk about every one of those here. But in Ephesians 5, listen to what it says. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. If you're damaging your body, uh, then you have something wrong with you, right? If you're knowingly hurting yourself, if you're cutting yourself or something like that, then you have most likely something mentally wrong with you. And so what this means is you provide security for your wife. And in our culture, we think that a marriage can provide security in a lot of different ways of the world's ways. I was reading this week about uh, prenuptial agreements because that's the way a lot of people think that they can provide security. And I read some of the funniest prenuptial agreement uh, things that happen. Uh, one of them says that the wife can't be over 120 pounds. If the wife is over 120 pounds, she's fined 10 grand. There's another one where the husband couldn't be over 180 pounds. Y'all, there's a prenuptial agreement that literally said the husband could only watch one football game every Sunday. If he did any more than that, then he broke the prenuptial agreement. One prenuptial agreement said that there would be a financial penalty if the husband was mean to the in-laws. Every guy in here would be bankrupt right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, There was another one that said... The mother-in-law could not stay the night at their house. That was in the prenuptial agreement. Like, your mom ain't staying here in the house. And so that's not how we provide security. We provide security in other ways. Um, men, uh, we are the worker. Like, we, we provide that security. I would say that, that sometimes there tend to be more females that tend to be what I would call dreamers. Uh, they may describe themselves as flighty, like they don't know what they want to do and they're always trying something new and they get into something else and they swap jobs and then they do this and they do that. Even with females that tend to be dreamers, they need a husband that is secure. And so you got a job, you work, you provide consistently. Um, you've thought about things outside of just having a job. You got your house in order, so to speak. Uh, you think about things like this. This is security. This is the way husbands should think. If I get hit by a truck tomorrow, are my wife and kids going to be okay? You know, you got life insurance. Well, when we retire and we can't physically work anymore, how am I going to make sure that my wife is taken care of? If I get sick one day and I'm disabled, how am I going to make sure that we can still live? So you're thinking about things like retirement. You're thinking about things like I want to get out of debt as quick as I can so we don't have the burden of this debt on us. You're providing this security uh, for your wife, so to speak. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. amen. So the lady that? in Song of Solomon, she feels protected financially. They have a vineyard together. It's profitable. And I need to know that if you lost your job, that you would do everything you can. Not just say you would do everything you can, but you have proven that you would do everything you can to provide for our family. Um, I would eat rice and beans every single day as long as he is working as hard as he can to provide for that's our family. That's part of earning that respect too, right? Right, that's right. That earned respect mm -hmm. that women are supposed to have for and their husbands. The last thing I wanted to add was that in Song of Solomon, the woman has two nightmares, and both of those are she wakes up in the middle of the night and she's alone. He is completely gone. And I would say one of our biggest fears is that our husband is not there that he's not there in person and that he's not there like in presence. 
Um, and I know that some people have jobs where they travel and you have to work really hard and be really intentional about spending time together. But the other things, when I say in presence, I mean that your <coughs> phone, that video games, or that something else is not taking your attention away from us all the time when you're at home. You're not like absent-minded. You're not, you go back in the room and you do your own thing when you're home all the time. So you're home, need, but you're not there. Right. Yeah. So we need to know that you're present. That's how we feel protected. Absolutely. When it comes to security too, I would speak to all the Christian men. Christian men are supposed to be men that provide a safe place for women. Okay, inside of marriage, absolutely, your job is to provide a safe place and safety for your wife. But it's always been the case that Christian men are to provide a safe place for females. And that plays itself out. Like when you're at church, females should feel totally secure and safe coming here. Guys aren't looking them up and down. Guys aren't catcalling them. Guys aren't objectifying women and those types of things. We're called to create safe places. So inside of marriage, that's part of your job, guys. You are a safe haven for your wife. And so that plays itself out in several ways. Let's just unpack one. Let's say, you know, we established last week that guys need uh, uh, more affection physically. Uh, what did we call it last week? What was the intimacy. word? Intimacy. Okay, we didn't say sex. We said intimacy. And I just said sex, so you know what I'm talking about. But intimacy. Okay, intimacy. Guys, typically, most of the time, guys are more physical and visual. Well, if you marry your wife and you find that she has major baggage in the area of intimacy, maybe she was molested, maybe she has horrible experiences. I'm talking like we've done counseling with people before where it's unbelievable. Uh, the wife will get triggered just by looking at a bed and she wants to sleep on a couch because the memories that go with it. Well, your job, man, is to provide a safe place for her. So you don't force her into having sex with you. You don't make her feel guilty in order to have more sex with you. Your job is to provide a safe place. So you may say, you know what? Having sex is not going to be a large part of our marriage until you're ready, until you work through this. That's just an example of how you provide a safe place for your wife. I wrote this down. Becoming a husband and a father means life is not all about you. Now your responsibility is to love your wife and to raise your kids if you are a Christian man. Amen. Okay. So fourth one, fourth one. We're on the fourth one. Already on the last one, y'all. We're going to get, get out of here quick. Everybody still with us? Say I am. Your wife needs connection. Your wife needs connection. Do not downplay talking. Women say on average 20,000 words a day. Men, 7,000 words a day. <laughs> In Song of Solomon, um, Solomon speaks for 38 verses and she speaks for 71 verses. So we need to talk and we need our husbands to listen. Something that we started saying at the beginning of our conversations because men are fixers, so I'll always say, I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to listen. I just need you to let me process this. You know, it's interesting. In the book of Ephesians that we just read says, leave your father and mother and be united to your wife. So my first point is connection to her. Like she needs you to be connected to her. And uh, that comes through communication. And one of the interesting things about Ephesians chapter 5 is there's three times as much instruction in Ephesians 5 for the husbands than the wives. Last week, we read three verses that were addressed to the wives on how to treat the husbands. This week, we read nine verses, three times as much uh, for the husbands on how to treat their wives. Now, maybe it's because the husband is the leader of the home and, and like they wanted to make sure to drive the point home and how important it was. But I've got a really sneaky suspicion that the Holy Spirit was like, we better write three times as much because the guys don't listen that good. <laughs> You know what I mean? Nine verses instead of three for the guys because 
We need to make sure they're listening because sometimes I think I'm a good listener and I'm not a good listener, y'all. I, I mean, I don't know about the guys in here. I'm just not that good. It amazes me how many conversations Brooke starts and the first thing I hear is, you never answer me when I ask you something. You know what I mean? Because I haven't listened to anything she said up till then. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we, we've got to be good listeners. You get connection to her, right? Connection to Communication. Her. Yeah. Listen to Song of Solomon 516. It says, this is my husband. This is my friend. And so we need him to be our best friend. We need to talk. We need to have fun. We need to celebrate our relationship. We need to remember <coughs> the beginning and have be able to have good memories to look back on. So we need a best friend. Um, the couple in Song of Solomon, they talked all the time about when they first met and when they first fell in love. But this is how we build connection, is when we communicate, when we that's how we become devoted and committed and our love grows deeper. And she needs that connection, especially if you fight it, you know, it blows my mind. Brooke's, Brooke's blown away how guys are. Because guys, like, punch each other in the face, and then we're best friends the rest of our lives. Y'all ever notice that? We got to boy, boy, females, hold on to that stuff, man. Everything's connected in their brain. And so I've done been over it. Not that I've punched you in the face. No, we're not saying that. But, you know, I'm, like, done. You know, and you're just still wanting to talk about it. And are we sure we're okay? And mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. It's true. We have to talk. Um, and I, do you have anything else? I just yeah, no, I got two oh. more points. Oh. Yeah, you need to be connected to her. But secondly, I would say you need to be connected to the church. Every single man in here needs a church that you're connected to. Right. And I don't just mean you attend 1.7 times a month. I'm talking you're, you're connected to your church. You give. You serve. You're involved in a group of some type. You're in the men's ministry, women's ministry, Ref Connect, uh, students, whatever. Even if you're single in here, you need the church because iron sharpens iron. And uh, you need to be connected to the church. The context of the Bible, overwhelmingly, inside the context of a marriage, assumes in the Old Testament and New that the man is connected to the temple in the Old Testament and the New Testament that he clearly has a strong relationship to his local church. And so you need that, your wife needs that, your kids need that, and it is not optional. You lead in this area. The greatest way men can start leading spiritually right now today is next week, don't, don't worry about going home and praying 50 hours with your wife and reading the whole Bible in a week or nothing like that. Just next Sunday, it's non-negotiable. We're getting up and we're going to church. Well, I don't care how mad she is. I don't care how crazy the kids are. You're going to make sure you get here. Uh, God set it up that way for a reason. And ladies, if you want your husband to be the spiritual leader of the home, then follow him. Yep. Whatever church he wants to go to, follow him. Go to that church. And we've lost a ton of people. Because we look, and she's like, I want to come to Red, but he wants to go to another church. And we look at him and we say, follow him. Go with him. Go with him. We have it vice versa as well. And, and so many testimonies of wives that have actually came to Red because their husband wanted to lead them and come to Red. And, uh, and so I would encourage them. Too, too many guys look at church like a prostate exam. <laughs> like it's necessary for survival, but it's a little too invasive and uncomfortable for me to get really involved and look forward to it. You know what I'm saying? So don't look at church like a prostate exam, fellas. Did I get you awake? Amen. If you've ever had one, you're awake, right? You know. Thirdly, I would say that you need to have a connection to Christ. You know, you're, you're a man in here that's been kicking the tires of Christianity. Your wife's a believer. She drug you to church. Uh, you're a man in here that made a profession when you were five years old, but your life has never bared any witness whatsoever that you know Jesus at all in your life. Maybe you need to get saved. 
You need a connection to Christ. You are never, ever, ever going to understand how to have mercy on your wife or anybody for that matter if you don't know Christ and have a connection to Him. You are never, ever, ever going to understand grace for people if you do not have a connection to Christ. You will never understand how to forgive your wife and move on if you do not have a connection to Christ. You will never, husbands in here, listen to me, you will absolutely never know how to properly love your wife in that sacrificial way if you do not have a connection to Christ. Context of Ephesians 5 and any marriage advice in the Bible is that the man has a connection to Christ. Christ is leading the man and then he is leading his marriage and his relationship and his home. So you absolutely have to have a connection to Christ. Anything to add to that? Uh, well, I just want to end with this. Is it okay to end with a scripture? Sure. I just a scripture that I love because it's just so sweet. Okay, so it's Proverbs thirty eighteen through nineteen. It says there are four things that are too mysterious for me to understand: an eagle flying in the sky, a snake moving on a rock, a ship finding its way over the sea, and a man and a woman falling in love. I just go. love that. So beautiful. That's so sweet. I just love that that's in the Bible, you know? It is. The Bible's going to say good stuff, doesn't it? Homework for the week for the men, okay? Last week, our homework, you remember what our homework was last week? Touch your husband more than you touch your phone. And yes, he timed me. He timed me. He's like, three minutes. I'm counting four minutes, five minutes. How'd that go for you? It went okay. (laughs) We were sick. So we're we're sick. sick. So So we're kind of like, say, last week we told the females, touch your husband more than you touch your phone. This week I would give the men, since there's three times as many verses, I'm going to give you three times as much homework. Uh, Number one, I would say talk. In other words, connect with your wife more than you text or talk on your phone this week. Uh, I would also say pray. What are you being so weird for? You got me last time. I'm not weird. I would say pray for your wife more than you spend time on your phone. And I would say to the men as well, Uh, find church more important for you and your family than the importance of your phone. Those three things. Talk to your wife, pray for your wife, and then uh, I think for some men in here, for some husbands in here, the next step for you is, honestly, uh, just start leading the way spiritually. Get connected to a church. Uh, Jump in the growth track. Figure out your purpose. Start watching babies in the nursery if you're a guy in here. Start helping in Club 45. Start greeting. Start doing something to lead your family. Spirit, start giving, start doing all those things. And so that's the homework for the week. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.